from the crypt. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. Lightning week here in New York City has continued, and we have yet another guest. The excitement throughout the week just rises. Uh, this is a guest I've been uh, eagerly anticipating <laughs> in the studio for a while. I've been trying to get him for a minute now. Uh, again, it's lightning week here in New York City. Uh, so my guest is here to to imbue some knowledge onto the people participating in the Chain Code Labs Lightning Boot Camp. I want you to just introduce you freaks to Jack Mollers. Jack, welcome to the pod. Yo, what's up, dude? I'm a big fan of yours and a friend. I can say a friend. Yes, you are my friend. We uh, we had a night. We had ourselves a night in <laughs> Chicago over this summer. Yeah, so I'm happy to be in Brooklyn. Uh, check out your home territory. Hang out. Be on the podcast. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks, man. Let's uh, let's reminisce on that night a little bit. So we did one of my <laughs> one of my favorite nights in Chicago is Thursday night in Lakeview in particular. Uh, you do funk night at a live one uh, in the back room there. You pregame. Uh, with Funk Night, and then you walk down the street to Kingston Mines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apparently I left Kingston Mines a bit too early there. You said Hannibal Barris walked in right he after. He did, but I don't think you can ever leave Kingston Mines too early. That's you know true. what I mean? So That's true. If yeah, you're there, be careful you're, what you wish for. <laughs> yeah. If you're there, it's too late already. Yeah, but you you showed me the way, dude. I'm much more of a like hip-hop, Chicago's like you know gang, underground, hip-hop, Drake guy. Mm-hmm. So I walked into the to the live tunes and the guitar. I was head bobbing. I was catching a groove, but that was my first little rodeo of of that scene. You're into the trap rap scene in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Chicago's got a very interesting uh, music scene. I got a, I got a few friends that were in pop punk bands in the Chicago area. Mm-hmm. Um, went to Lane Tech and 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 messed with the pop punk scene. Sure. A lot of rap, obviously. We were just listening to Kanye. Yep. Setting the mood for Jack coming with some Kanye whiskey. Yep. Yeah, Kanye, of course, everyone loves. Chance is mm-hmm. is my generation's Kanye. Uh, but yeah, dude, I mean, I grew up in Evanston, right outside Chicago. I was on the basketball team, like one of the only white kids. So you're in the locker room, and you get, you get it all. And you get the trickle from the south side, comes all the way north. And uh, I still listen to that shit today. I, I might not be a, a popular crypto Twitter uh, playlist that I have in my pocket, but it's my jam. I love to uh, I love to listen to it. I've been uh, doing yeah. a big rap kick lately. I've been listening to Astro World on loop for some reason. Yeah, okay, yeah. we're drifting in the right direction. Yeah, I like all music. I'm a big fan, big fan of it. Music's all. dope. Yeah, all, every <laughs> kind of music. In the car, we've been listening to classical music recently, but uh, in the office, it's been trap rap. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I wouldn't consider Travis rap trap rap. Would you? I don't know what it's called. Yeah. You just get your beats on, open up Zap, blast that <laughs> gang, that gang banging, dope slanging shit, and you write some code. That's how I live. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so let's get into why the hell we're here, uh, Bitcoin and Lightning Network in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, as always on this podcast, uh, we need to know your tale. How the hell did you find Bitcoin and uh, become so infatuated with it? Mm-hmm. Um. So I've been involved in Bitcoin, involved meaning like I knew about it and was interested to follow it since early 2013, but uh, I can't take responsibility for that. It was all my dad. So my dad is like the mastermind in the dark room with all the screens, monitoring and pulling the strings. Very smart guy, smartest guy I've ever met. And uh, he has, my family has deep Chicago finance history and he approached it from a market trading speculative 
uh, aspect and I was a dropping out of college at the time and it gave me a little direction and it mm-hmm. turned out to work out okay but uh that was my introduction it was not any genius hind like forward thinking on my part <laughs> <laughs> your dad pushed you into the deep end yeah it didn't push me but I was like man dad I'm allowed to curse right oh hell yeah okay I just want to make sure I wasn't gonna you know, ruin anything so uh I was like, Dad, I don't like college. I think I'm going to drop out. And he was like, fuck yeah, fuck that shit. Um, <laughs> let's just figure out something that works and that you like. Like That stuff's expensive anyway. I'm not going to pay all that money for you to not like French literature class. So um, I left, and he was like, I got a bunch of friends that are engineers, and, and in the finance world, you should just learn to code. It's similar to chess, which we talked about previous mm-hmm. to the microphones. And so that was my trickle into it. And he was like, oh, you like this? Well, here's this Bitcoin thing. I think it's interesting. This was around the Greek Cyprus crisis. Okay. And uh, he started to explain it to me from a speculator. You know, he's finance uh, and trading. But uh, I was learning to code at the same time. So then I kind of married those worlds and, and stuck with it. That's... Uh it's awesome. It's awesome that your dad was prescient enough to be like, hey, you should focus on this. You're young. Dude, Quitting college. not only he's the coolest guy in the world. I I was on the phone with him, told him I didn't like it, and had just got into it. I was on scholarship at St. John's, so I lived in a suite of scholarship kids. So it wasn't one roommate. I had seven roommates, uh, so we lived in a giant suite. What was the scholarship for? Uh, it was like accolade related i think that it was under academic but okay. i like pitched him that i was like really good at chess and wanted to be in new york this is like the chess capital of the world at the time and uh they were like dope like we'll have you here uh so i was living in a suite with all these people and we got in a fight over some stupid shit and i was like crying i was like 18 I called my dad <laughs> i was like i want to come home and he was like fuck it let's go like s- sent me to the airport no flights. I had to sleep there. It's like me, a bunch of homeless people sleeping in the airport. And I uh, woke up at like 4 a.m., got on a flight to Chicago, and never went back to New York. <laughs> Holy shit. And then years later, build Zap and whatever. <laughs> this is my first time back since. Uh, <laughs> since you left? <laughs> really? It just hit me, yeah. Well, first time uh, back since I left. Let's college. back up to before you left. You were skipping class to play chess. Let's I was, yeah. So my St. John's campus was in Queens. Wait, wait, wait. Before we even get to that, how uh-huh. the hell did you get in the chess? Like, how long have you been oh, in the chess? Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't even remember how I got into it. It's just one of those things when you're like a kid and you're good at something, that's just like what you do. That's the most fun thing in the world is to be good at something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like you play after school and you're beating everyone and you're like, oh, yeah, I fucking love this game. Like, <laughs> this is sweet. <laughs> so and then I took it seriously, like had a coach trained uh i had a couple state championships for my age group in illinois uh and then well you play basketball you get into things like bitcoin and chess becomes a hobby but uh for a while i was really competitive player as a kid what uh what are like the biggest lessons in life that chess has taught you oh man um chess seems like one of the most incredibly cerebral games uh, it is it is you can make anything that way if you want to draw a comparison to life but uh, I would say I always tell people that chess is the most symbolic and, and closely replicated and that every move has pros and cons. Um, even the greatest chess moves uh, reveal some weaknesses and it's more about 
managing your risk reward if you're trading or managing the ups and downs or your overall value proposition and goals of the product if you're building something to serve to users. Um, but understanding that nothing is so very binary and that it's more of finding your comfortable match in the middle and sliding that scale. Uh, so depending on the chess position, uh, you can choose your pros and cons. You can choose to be tactical or positional. Uh, and I still apply that today. Damn. Sounds like a good sports before I <laughs> up or game. Yeah, it's a good game, dude. Overall, like intuition, seeing yourself forward. These are some of the things I pride myself in like building Zap. Like I, yeah. I'm not the best cryptographer or coder in the world, but just, you know, building a product and the intuition uh, and it evolving and finding market fit and stuff like that I still use, which I learned to play chess. Yeah, so I'm going to pull up a tweet here Uh-oh. talking about Zap. All right. Um, wrong tweet. Started building Zap in my bedroom as a way for myself and my friends to test and experience lightning in a user-friendly way. Uh, fast forward, uh, and you're watching Elizabeth Stark uh, present your app on the TV. Mm-hmm. True so, story. So Zap started in your bedroom. Like, what is the mm-hmm. origin story of Zap? Like, yeah. Uh, so at the time, I had a real job, only real job I've ever had so far. Uh, if you don't count working on Zap, and. Uh, it was a side project. I, to be honest with you, my approach to product, I think all valuable products, um, and especially open source ones, should start as a side project. Mm-hmm. Like similar to si- what Bitcoin was to Satoshi. It's an idea. It has personal origins to you. Um, but it ends up working because it's authentic, because it's limited in scope, because you're clear of its intentions. The people that try and be super ambitious that are wild thinking, that are loosely, you know, spaghetti tied. Um, it's really difficult to deliver something of value. So Zap was extremely authentic. It was extremely limited in scope and its intention was to be really small. It was like, I love Bitcoin. I hold Bitcoin. I want Bitcoin to work. Here's this lightning thing, which has dream hopes. And I wanted to humanize it for myself and I wanted to be able to use it and pass it on to my parents without them interacting at the command line. And I, I really wanted to take the protocol and turn it into something that everyone can kind of recognize and understand and be excited about or motivate them or use it, whatever the case was. And that was it. It was mm-hmm. like after work in my bedroom or like even at work, I used to go to work hours early, knock off the issues that were on GitHub and all that stuff. And then by the time it was like lunch, I was just like in Slack rooms was Stark and Lalu and like coding on shit at my really? work job. Yeah, absolutely. People would come next to me. I'd have the Bitcoin charts up trading and uh, I would be in like Bitcoin core Slack groups and stuff because I had come in early and finished all my shit. Where were you at the time? I was at a company called Label Insight. Okay. Uh, so shout out Label Insight. Uh, some friends over there still. But uh, I, I was like leading product in a way. So I, okay. I was coding, but also like designing shit doesn't really matter but it was a normal job (laughs) not bitcoin related so that's like i got my mind going a million different directions right now because there's so many angles through which we can go (laughs) so here's what i want to get out so you were experimenting with lightning early number one Mm -hmm. building on it early uh with zap in particular then number two you have a very design focused mindset which i think is imperative I, I have i'm a ux nerd myself like when i was in chicago i did a ux boot camp at designation shout out designation i actually just got bought by WeWork as a like design boot camp congrats to them um but yeah this like ux is imperative 
moving forward or, or improving the UX of handling private keys, sending Bitcoin, receiving Bitcoin, invoicing, blah, 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 whatever it may be. Uh, there's uh, an immense amount of room for UX improvements. And I think what you're building at Zap is sort of a shining example of, of like a beacon of light to sort of guide people towards something to a uh, uh, very, very incredible example of what good UX should look like. Yeah. Um, so I'm basically just trying to to uh, bestow you with compliments without being like too complimentary. But I, mean, I, 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 like, I love it. the UX of the Zap app and, and what you guys have built. So uh, number one, what was it like building on Lightning Network when it was uh, the beginning stages of Lightning? How has it gotten better throughout time? And then two, what, what do you, what's your perspective on the state of UX in the space and, and how to improve it? For sure, for sure. Uh, building on Lightning early was a blast. It's still a blast. Um, I think that it goes unnoticed how generous uh, this community really is. It, uh, the toxic stuff seems to make headlines, <laughs> which is fine. Like, whatever. We'll get into that in a bit. Yeah, whatever. But um, this community is fantastic. Lalu, Connor of Lightning Labs. I've been mostly L&D focused, but even like Christian and all the guys that are working on Lightning at the protocol level, uh, absolutely fantastic. Some of the smartest people I've ever had the pleasure of watching work, and that's me being dead serious. I repeat that everywhere I go. So uh, joining early and being able to test this stuff out and interact with these guys um, was a blast. Obviously didn't really work that well, um, but it's a way that you learn. So obviously I wouldn't be in a position to come to something like the chain code residency and give any guidance on anything if it weren't for that experience. So it was a learning experience, taught me a lot about Bitcoin, its value propositions, why Lightning would work in pa parallel and support those. And then uh, I think the most important draw from what was that like feb 2017 to what is october 2018 today mm -hmm. is the parabolic growth of the developers and overall resources devoted to lightning so we can get into technical details like yeah well we didn't have you know bip 158 merged into core yet and mm -hmm. like so that's changed but like okay whatever what really, though, is the overall attitude of Lightning and a general belief, like what you want out of this community is a united vision that we all kind of understand what we want to go after and what we're trying to solve and have some unified goal. And then watching the community slowly unravel and and motivate and and uh, move towards this kind of unified place, which is devoting resources, time. Uh, money, all of it to building has been, that's been the biggest change is it used to be like me, Justin, Kimarina, Alex Bosworth, mm -hmm. like Stark and Lalu and Molly in the Slack. Now there's like 5,000 people every day. That's insane. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's crazy. Like the enthusiast, like I spoke with Lightning Koala on Monday night uh, and he's developing games on top and wouldn't consider himself like a back-end developer just when it wants to build front-end apps that mm -hmm. interact with Lightning Network. And uh, it's always been the knock on Bitcoin. It isn't as developer-friendly, especially at the protocol level. So seeing Lightning sort of uh, bud and, and grow slowly but surely over the last year, year and a half, mm -hmm. it seems like uh, it is that lure for developers uh, to build on top of Bitcoin because it seems like it's getting easier, more practical, and you can build cooler stuff with it, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I mean, I can 
drag that into answer your second question of like the UX yeah. type of approach that Zap has and that I'd like to bring. Um, I've been writing about this forever is that I think that lightning allows us a fresh start and ushers in a new era of relationships that the end user has with Bitcoin. So uh, if you think about the relationship a user has with Bitcoin, similar to a relationship someone has with their girlfriend. Um, <laughs> this, But seriously, I mean, I, I'm the, the Clay Christensen approach, uh, that very famous study of Harvard Business uh, went into a fast food restaurant and tried to help them sell more milkshakes. Mm-hmm. And uh, the restaurant had, you know, made them bigger, made them smaller, changed the flavors, whatever, whatever. And they weren't actually trying to understand why people were hiring the milkshake. That's counterintuitive to how we think of products. You know, you buy a milkshake because mm. you're thirsty. Yeah. But why were they hiring it? What job were they trying to? And why was, what is this relationship they have with the milkshake? And if you think of it like that, people, most milkshakes are actually bought in the morning. What? Because commutes are so long. Banana, you finish by, before you even get on the highway and you're hungry by the time you get to work. A bagel's a disaster. If you're eating a bagel and you're driving, you got to switch lanes or you get a phone call, you don't have four hands. Yeah. Uh, so a milkshake, and you you give a milkshake and you got to suck it through the little straw. It takes you an hour and it sits in your gut until lunch and you're full and it's cheap. So they did things like make the straw smaller. So it takes longer and it's harder to suck the thick milkshake through the straw in it, which increased sales because it was a better commute mm-hmm. uh, snack. So anyway, point being is I like to think of these things and these products in more of a relationship and why people would hire Bitcoin and how they look at Bitcoin and their relationship with it. And traditionally, it's been more or less a disaster, the end user relationship with Bitcoin. It's hard to understand. It's hard to use. Um there's a lot of hype around it and a lot of excitement, asymmetric upside as far as an investment. But just how people get to talk to Bitcoin has never been good. And Lightning gives us this new opportunity to reestablish that relationship. It abstracts a lot of the complexity. It offers new value props. It increases this throughput, increases privacy. And from someone who likes to think of products this way, and I'm very passionate about building good UX and crafting products that help people I thought it was a perfect opportunity to come in, set an example, set a standard and say, listen, uh, you guys, Coinbase or whoever, you're not fucking this up this time. Um, Let's get an open source project out there that has morals and that's really dedicated to establishing a good relationship with the end user and leading by example. And so that is kind of like the overarching, one of the principles of Zap and why I started it. (laughs) It's incredible. (laughs) Um, No, no. And I think a little bit, you didn't really say it, and I don't think you were trying to allude to the, to this intentionally, but what I think uh, somebody can glean from that explanation of, of that you just gave is like the user's relationship with Bitcoin. I think that relationship up to this point, the first decade or almost 10 years in, has been somewhat bastardized by, uh, I don't want to say false narratives, but uh, misleading narratives like Bitcoin using Bitcoin as a medium of exchange. Obviously, mm-hmm. yes, in the early days it was possible because nobody was using the network. Obviously, we found out over the last two years uh, pretty uh, pretty hard lessons about uh, scaling and right. Bitcoin's uh, capabilities when it comes to being a medium of exchange at the protocol level. And I think uh, parroting and evangel- evangelizing Bitcoin as like a medium of exchange at the protocol level in the early years has sort of hurt that user experience and and hurt Bitcoin's adoption in the short term. Obviously, these are hurdles that can be overcome, but 
with what you're building on on Lightning. But uh, that's something that's been talked about a lot recently. Is like the narratives around Bitcoin and 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 how we should probably be more forthright and and upfront with where Bitcoin is right now. Um, mm-hmm. So I think like uh, I wrote about it earlier this week. Bitcoin's probably still in that collectible phase if we're on like a Nick Zab- Nick Zabian. Uh, route to money from collectible store value medium of exchange to unit of account. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you have any commentary on that or, or I mean like the whole false narrative thing or just the fact that Bitcoin seems to continuously get punched in the face like a punching bag. Uh, I don't think though that that'll ever end or that it's unexpected, mm-hmm. I guess. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, but what I'm trying to get at is like, do you think there is like a better, a better, like marketing angle right now uh like it's it's safer to market bitcoin is like hey it's experimental or not even that it's experimental it's uh it's obviously not uh the the liquidity base is not such where it can be right. exchange it's sort of marketed like hey can grow into that over time uh if mm-hmm. more and more people buy into the system but right now it's not perfect for that yeah well this is why we love people like Andreas Antonopoulos, right? As mm-hmm. the master educator, and that stuff is important. Um, but at the same time, like how we all individually try and act in a responsible manner in marketing Bitcoin, uh, it's still impossible to digest for a normal person, right? Like if I go to someone and I'm like, Bitcoin as a asset class as treated as a commodity something that you can put derivative products on top of and there's tremendous value to get bitcoin onto wall street quote unquote whatever the fuck that means um that that space is totally different than like scanning qr codes with lightning but people then will go oh this thing has so much value there's so much money how can i be a part of it and some web developer in california is like i'll just build an exchange or i'll just be and (laughs) and that's not their fault necessarily right like it's exciting it's hard to parse all this information and i think that this kind of trial and error type of approach um is just part of natural education like we don't want any central authority telling people how to act with their financial sovereign right with bitcoin or how to develop and be an entrepreneur this is just kind of part of it like people are going to lose a lot of money in scams people are going to lose a lot of money storing this stuff starting businesses having them fail segue 2x no doesn't work and it's just a, a property of this decentralized type of whatever you want to call it, form of money, protocol, whatever it is to you. Um, it's just a property of the system, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I think that's a good point because people approach Bitcoin from different paths and come to Bitcoin in different ways and mm-hmm. definitely yeah. have different first interactions with it. I was, I was different having types a, of aha moments, if you will. Right. I was having a debate about this at the residency today with someone uh, and we were talking about custodial wallets and should we, there be custodial lightning wallets and such and the trade-offs of centralized versus not. And it's just not in anyone's right to tell anyone why Bitcoin is important and why and mm-hmm. how they need to act financially. Like there are friends that are like, hey, can you help me set up a Coinbase account? And there'll be people on crypto Twitter that are like, fuck that shit. Like get them to write their private key on their tattoo on their tongue. <laughs> and they're not like... They can't answer to anyone. But here's the thing, dude. Like Bitcoin to my buddy who works at Jewel, and if he has to turn on his computer, he starts sweating. It's like, come on. Like, let's be realistic. The guy wants to put money in some asset that has upside, 
and that's his use case and that's it and that's fine yeah there's also people that rely on bitcoin to survive in venezuela that's fine too the beauty of bitcoin is that it offers you the freedom of choice that no asset has ever offered before but it is your choice to have and and i firmly believe that like if you want to use a derivative product to diversify into bitcoin like a future fine whatever like it who cares like it's not my problem how you want to your relationship with bitcoin is your relationship with bitcoin it's many things and many people yeah bitcoin at the protocol level is agnostic to your use cases yeah doesn't give a shit yeah um i love that uh and like i guess we'll stay in that vein with like the the futures products that's something there's a lot of fun about like people are worried about rehypothetic rehypothecation yeah. Did I say that right? I'm I'm glad you choked on it because I'm not sure it really fucking means anything, but <laughs> I'm glad you couldn't spit it out. Cause so people are worried about that. So that people are worried about that, and then people are fudding about the futures price, mm-hmm. um, like the launch of the futures yeah, price. Yeah, Wall Street peak. is putting us on our knees. Yeah. Okay. It's destroying. Uh, <laughs> and maybe, will the ETF be good or bad? Like, I don't know. But uh, no, there's, I guess you and you've been vocal about this on Twitter, you have a very uh, granular understanding of how these financial products work. So I guess let's talk about the CME product in particular. Sure. Like, is that, is that, uh, or is Wall Street manipulating that product to, to destroy Bitcoin? Oh, no, of course not. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I love to highlight some of the specific, uh, like, claims, right? Because someone asked me, like, yo, is Wall Street is the CME futures product going to crush Bitcoin? And my answer is no. Like what, what would possibly make you think that a derivative product is going to crush Bitcoin? And like the idea that it would inflate it or like, I don't know what people's claim is. I think the general like conspiracy theorist in a lot of these like really heavy libertarian fuck the man type of people just have a general fear. Mm -hmm. Um, but like a derivative product is not even pretending to be Bitcoin. It's a separate product. It's a product that settles against an index of spot trading. So you're not inflating the supply of, I can't buy a, a CME future and then go put it onto Zap and buy a Yalls.org article. It's not the asset. Right. It, right? So here's, here's the use case. For the CME product, I'll actually walk you through why it was created and why people wanted it. I'm... A money manager whatever that means family office hedge fund whoever I want diversification into this asset it's new the upsides way bigger than the downside the bigger loss would be to miss this opportunity than to get burned on it and that's kind of a universal fact at this point mm-hmm. how do I get my foot in the water you're telling me I want to put 10 million 50 million 100 million worth of client money onto a trezor this is the thing that some 14-year-old in London is exploiting every month via Twitter, <laughs> posting like, yo, I found a fucking bug. Come on, dude. Like, let's be real. So what they go, this is what derivative product is for. It gives you exposure. It transfers professionally risk. So risk transfer to those who do it professionally. And it says, well, I'll just buy this product that settles against the index of the spot. I don't want to hold Bitcoin. I don't want to touch it. I don't understand it. But I know that I need to be involved. And it gives them that exposure from a portfolio management standpoint. And that's all it was. There was demand from people that said, if I want to click buy right now or short, I want exposure to it, but I don't want to touch it yet. And they'll get there. So now there's this wave of like custodial services like BitGo and all these 
people that will now store it for them. And eventually, mm-hmm. it's such a crowded common problem that there's no way someone like Bitco is going to get away taxing 1% to 5% of billions of dollars for holding private keys. It's such a crowded space that eventually there'll be self-serve solutions. But this is kind of the evolution of in a derivative product is a perfect first step that's cash settled so that these people can get exposure to this market um, and risk transfer without you know, holding the asset. And I think that that's totally valid. It happens in all real markets and asset classes today. And I see no issue with it. Like you're more a conspiracy theorist. If you say otherwise, there's no like real backing to those statements. Uh, Bilderberg is trying to bring down Bitcoin via the CME (laughs) future swaps. Uh, um. (laughs) It's interesting. And that's, uh, that's another debate I've been getting into more recently is like, I've been an advocate of Cash App. Thanks for sponsoring the podcast app. Uh, been an advocate. Do they really? Yeah, they do. Oh, they man. Do. Good for you. That's a dope sponsor. Thanks. Uh, very uh, very philosophically aligned. I uh, yeah. love what they did by open, open sourcing their that cold, was cool. cold storage very this cool. week. Very yeah, cool yeah. of them. Um, but obviously, like, the hard, like you were saying, the hardcore libertarians, anarcho-capitalists, like, you can't support. They're doing a- AML, KYC, KYC, AML. It's like... Listen, uh, I agree. It's bad. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't agree with uh, KYC AML to the fullest. But let's be practical here. We live in a society. Most people are going to use the easiest path to get Bitcoin. Right. And if they're going to, we might as well pick the best services. Uh, but it's interesting uh, uh, hearing those narratives. And then at the same time, these people will be like, Bitcoin's going to be the reserve currency of the world. It's like, what the hell do you expect? Like, yeah. if it's going to be the reserve currency of the world, like, They're... this is how finance works. This is how markets work. Like, these people are going to build products around mm-hmm. this asset. Like, There's also this, like, sense of entitlement in, the, in Bitcoin, which I think is great. I like the, like... I wear my full note on my chest and fuck mm-hmm. you to say otherwise. I love that attitude and I think it should survive. But there's also just the general fact that most of these people don't know what they're talking about. People will be like, yeah, the CME future product is terrible. Derivatives stink and then go open a trade on BitMEX. It's like, do you understand that BitMEX is the Bitcoin mercantile exchange? It offers derivative products. Like, is right. Bit, has BitMEX been inflating Bitcoin this whole time? No. So the, it's, people just don't understand. My favorite now is the ETF stuff. People are like, yeah, ETF's bad for Bitcoin. It's not going to make the price go up. Well, you just <laughs> well, you just don't look at data then. I mean, if you look at any asset class that got an ETF introduced and approved, it spiked, obviously. Um, the fact that ETF is going to somehow influence the protocol because of all the Bitcoin they'll be holding. I think that the accumulative holdings of the Segwit2x signees we're talking about Barry Silbert, shit ton of Bitcoin. Coinbase, shit ton of Bitcoin. Voorhees, shit ton of Bitcoin. All of these people. If you want to accumulate them, there's no way an ETF is going to have that much Bitcoin anytime soon. No. They couldn't shove any protocol changes down our throat. So what's the big deal? Come on. Like, you conspiracy theorists, like... And this is the price isn't going to be like an ETF mandates that you have to buy the underlying asset it's just it's just like a little bit i walk into so in chicago my family i told you is this deep chicago finance history so i'm hang i hang out with strictly uh hft firms traders uh you know tilly runs cboe a lot of turtles yeah and, and you i tell stories like this and it, it's just what we joke about it's like not nothing to even entertain seriously so i would to people that are on the fence and on the edge i would 
try and put them at ease. Like there's no threats to Bitcoin coming from Wall Street. And I'm being honest, don't take my word for it. Go Google and educate. But like a lot of these things are just laughable at best. I know. I, it really, like there's a lot of fear mongering. It's a lot of anon accounts like mm-hmm. trying to build a brand. There's a lot of, there's a lot of brand building on Twitter in particular. Uh, you got to try to find the signal through the noise. Uh, it's not always easy, but one thing I want to dive into you with in particular is something that always fascinated me. Having lived in Chicago and now New York is the dichotomy of like the finance scene in Chicago, New York, Mm -hmm. like pit traders from Chicago, Mm -hmm. like Seabot guys are just like salt of the earth, like fucking some of the funniest, like driest people I've ever met in my life. Most wholesome people I've ever met in my life. And then New York is complete opposite. Like your yuppie, Yak and yak and fast talking, fast walking. Let's go. Yeah, I, I appreciate the Chicago finance scene so much, and it and it and it plays in their investment strategies too. Like Chicago is v- very much like a futures trading, like trend following, long term CTA, uh, like very uh, slow and steady trend following strategies. Like emanate from Chicago, where in like New York, it's like quick mm-hmm. LDOs and shit like that. Yep, yep, yeah. So for context, my grandfather was the youngest chairman of the Chicago Board of Trade and actually signed the funding check for the CBOE. Um, Wow. Yeah. And then my dad ran one of the biggest future brokerages uh, in Chicago for a long time, sold it to Man Financial. So uh, the Mallers family has been around Chicago Finance forever. I think my grandfather actually ran out Trader, a trader it was a family that cornered the wheat market. I think it was Kansas and, wheat, and ran them ran them out um, from market manipulation. And that was always the Chicago attitude. Mm-hmm. It's like we have strong integrity with our products and our name. Uh, New York is just whatever's hot is hot. The Wolf of Wall Street story in Chicago was much more salt of the earth, brick by brick. Right. Um, yeah, and it still is. That's why I remember when Coinbase launched Bcash and me and my dad freaked out. And one of it was because fuck the Bcash, Brian Armstrong's an idiot. The Ninja uh, launch, though, is so unprofessional. Yeah, but the bigger thing is that Coinbase was providing 25% of the CME's index oh, yeah. that they settle against. And if what if you're going to be insider trading and manipulating price now all of a sudden you're affecting the derivatives market and the cme holds such strong integrity in their products that's a chicago exchange you're not like you manipulate these web developer node.js bitcoin exchanges that go down every second that are a joke or whatever but you're not going to come in and spit in the chicago exchange's face we're going to grab you by the collar and give you a warning (laughs) and that's why we were so upset it was like Brian Armstrong really is going to launch Bcash and crash the Bitcoin price and pump that garbage. And then the CME is going to settle against that. Like you're got to be fucking kidding me. It's one thing to rip people off with your misleading garbage about Ethereum and and Bitcoin cash. But then it's another thing to have give the terrible name and reputation and branding to the SEC, to the CFTC, to people that we want to appeal to. We want this to be a real asset class, a reliable one. And people spend their lives so far doing this. And you're going to spit in our face like that. That, I mean, that's very Chicago attitude. Like me getting fired up. That He's is a, so fired up. That's right a now, Chicago please. attitude. <laughs> that's it right and there. And I fucking love the Chicago at- attitude. Uh, 
having worked at a futures fund with a bunch of ex CBOT traders, the way they talk about trading on the floor, like makes me nostalgic. I'd never been there, but it's just like, it sounds like being on the floor in the eighties in particular must've been a crazy time. I'm sure your dad yeah. has some war stories. Yeah. I can't attest to it. Um, yeah. but yeah, there's plenty of stories for sure. The running of cards and all that. It's actually funny. My dad decided to sell first American as futures brokerage as soon as things started to go digital. Yeah. So he was like, as soon as it started to fray away from the pit, the pit, you got sprinters on the floor filling orders. He was like, I'm out. I don't, this is not my game. Like I, I was born on the floor and I, I'm out, I'm done. Right. So it's funny. Yeah. He's definitely got some stories. If anyone ever catches him at a conference to ask him, it'll be entertaining. I'm definitely going to, I'm definitely <laughs> going to pick his brain about it. If I ever meet him at a conference, uh, no, it's, it's, it was uh, always fascinating to me as like a 20 year old, the CBOT was basically servers by the time I had mm-hmm. entered the market and, uh, the fondness with which the traders would talk about the floor was, it was always like, damn, I sort of wish I had that experience. Yeah. But, too, um, man. yeah, no Chicago, shout out Chicago, huge fan of Chicago. Shout uh, out city, my most city. underrated city in the country. I, I would really? say by far. I mean, I have at least that I've traveled opinion. to and I can't actually coming from me. I'm not the most well-traveled American, <laughs> but, uh, in my opinion, Chicago has a very, very we'll, special place. We'll in my take heart. the first place title as long as you're giving it to us. No asterisks. We'll take it. Yeah. I would actually even consider like myself. I'm like, I'm like, you said us. I'm like, yeah, I'm a part of that us. Like, yeah. Chicago is, uh, it's Philly, Philly than Chicago. It is yeah. very Philly. There's some yeah. similarities there for sure. Yeah. Very, uh, under, under, underdog blue collar cities. Yeah. yeah. If you replace a Philly cheesesteak with a big deep dish slice, we're basically the same. Right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Heavy, heavy meals. Load up on carbs, cold winters, you know, actually Philly winter, Chicago winter shits on the Philly winter. <laughs> I do not miss the winters at all. Yeah. Winters aren't fun, but it's a price you pay. Yeah. What's the, uh, what's the Bitcoin scene like in Chicago? Bumping? <sighs> Shit coiners? That's my reply. <sighs> uh, it's good, man. Um, I love a lot of people in Chicago that do Bitcoin stuff. I also don't like a lot of people in Chicago that do shitcoin stuff mm-hmm. so the bitcoin scene is dope it's not as big as like new york but there's some cool people out there um but it's heavy shitcoin of course um like block is there too garzik and those i think garzik doesn't work in chicago but the other co-founder does Rozak. Yeah. so i don't know like there's a lot of people that i don't have you know aligned visions with so meetups sometimes get crowded with like ico pitches but it is what it is yeah, that's the good thing about Bitcoin and Lightning in particular is that you find a lot of the people that you mesh with the most on the internet. So what's the what's the uh, team at Zap like? Like who's who's helping you out? Yeah, so uh, I'm a busy guy nowadays. So uh, I've been trying to bring on really talented people, way better than me, to kind of carry out this vision. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's Tom, who works and manages the desktop application with me. Uh, there's Otto, who uh, does iOS stuff, and we collab on that. And then Ole uh, helps take a lot of my like brainchild ideas, where I look at the protocol and like this should exist, and we collab on how that should look visually. Mm-hmm. And so the four of us just like hang out online. I've never met any of them in person. Not yet. No, they're all contributors that were active, and I was very impressed with their work. And you know, 
get to know him over Slack and, and Google Hangouts. Um, and I'm happy to, we even were funding someone who is contributing to Bitcoin core for a little bit, Ben Woosley. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I mean, Zap to me is just a vehicle for me and my family to give back to Bitcoin a little bit. And right now we like to exercise that through lightning as we see that's where we can make the biggest impact. But, uh, yeah, that's just, we're just kind of happy to be funding smart people to contribute to, to Bitcoin in general. Yeah, and you're building an iOS app too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. How's that been? Because Apple's been particularly uh, uh, steadfast in not letting cryptocurrency apps, uh, especially that handle money transmission uh, yeah, no in their it, store. No issue so far. So I know that Lightning is not exposed to these uh, money transmitter laws. Okay. So we're safe there. And uh, I mean, right now we're on test flight, but uh, I don't, there are already lightning apps on the app store. No issues so far. Okay. So. Um, the Clearwell was the only one I seen. Puzzled. Yeah. There's like a few that tried to build on L&D, but so it clears a little different than L&D, what <laughs> L&D iOS app would look like because L&D would allow you to send and receive with a node on the phone. So Eclair doesn't let you receive this whole idea of like watchtowers mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah. Lalu and the Lightning Labs team, which are super talented, shout out to them, are trying to uh, implement, not trying, pretty doing a damn good job at implementing their new light client idea, which is they call Neutrino. So all of that would go into a LND iOS app. So they'll have one, Zap will have one. And, uh, it's a bit more ambitious and packages more features uh, than the Eclair one, so it's just taking a little bit longer. But mm-hmm. uh, it's coming. What are uh, what are the enhanced features? Uh, just being able to receive first oh, of yeah, all, yeah, yeah. Uh, and this whole wa- watchtower idea. So the idea that you can outsource the responsibility of chain watching, so that no one can breach and cheat you uh, in a way that doesn't compromise your uh, trust in anyone or privacy or anything like that. Uh, And then this Neutrino idea, so this idea that I'm not responsible of storing tons of data uh, to keep myself safe and that I can fetch filters and do what I want with them. Yeah, Matt O'Dell was explaining uh, Neutrino to me. It's something between like an SPV wallet and a full node or it's yeah, an improvement on SPV. It's supposed to be a replacement for SPV. It, yeah. That's its intention is that like, yeah, it's supposed to be a replacement. The current SPV, what was it, like BIP37, I think, off the top of my head, uh, was poor. And uh, Neutrino increases privacy. There's been some pushback that it's not perfect for privacy. I don't think that it was pitched that way, um, mm-hmm. but it's definitely an improvement. Uh, and then it also flips the script a little bit. So not to get too technical, but uh, the full nodes are now serving the filters to the client. And what's cool about that is that the client can then have the filters locally and do whatever they want. So the first implementation would be to make lightning work on my iPhone. But just in general is that if I have this data locally, then any smart contract capability or advanced multi-sig or whatever you want that requires like interacting with the chain, watching the chain, being able to get blocks that matter to me, 
I have more flexibility now that I'm storing these locally and I'm handling these locally as opposed to like me outsourcing that to the full node and the full node then returning me data, right? So uh, it allows more flexibility for more ambitious projects beyond Lightning. It should be like implemented widely as Bitcoin projects go forward as they use like scripts, advanced scripts, and then uh, privacy and performance improvements too. Yeah. And it's crazy how fast all this shit is happening on Lightning. Dude. And... Like it was like vaporware less than 12 months ago. And mm. now we're talking about this complex, like making it almost like a consumer viable app. Mm-hmm. Uh, not almost, but it's on the way. The, yeah. the path is clear, somewhat clear at yeah. least. Um, oh yeah. So your path for Zap, like right now you said you were starting small. You just wanted to build an app that you and your friends could use. Yeah, You're getting to the point you're messing with iOS. Uh, you're, probably going to launch in the app like yeah when when are you guys going to launch and you said you can't talk about every announcement <laughs> that you have but what uh what can you tell us um so my answer for the launch stuff has just always been whenever it's ready and i know that sucks but uh not only is that the truth but it's also responsible to the people that are working on this uh every single day at the protocol level you don't want to um, you know, give falsified dates and have the community expecting. So it'll be ready when it's ready. Uh, in the if you zoom out far enough in the context of things, uh, it could take tomorrow or it could take another year, and that'd be plenty fast. You know what I'm trying to say? So yeah. it'll be ready when it's ready. Uh, as far as other stuff we'll be launching and coming out with, plenty of zap cool zap stuff, uh, and then. I have some other projects that aren't necessarily tied to anything anyone knows publicly, but uh, more of my background in like trading and finance and stuff like that. Uh, we've been doing a lot of work on that end because I think that a lot of the work done up to date is really poor. So that will all be coming to light when I'm allowed to talk about it. I got a big mouth and I got a microphone in front of me, <laughs> so I got I to gotta be careful. But uh, But yeah, work is being done. Well, you can quote me on that. Excited to see what you what you got dropping. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, that sounds dope. I'm actually very excited because you're right. Like the trading and exchange aspect up to this point uh, has been pretty slapdick. Yeah, it's all bad. And like hypothecation, um, not the <laughs> what did what you try and rehypothecation. Yeah, hypothecation meaning like the uh, lending and loaning of Bitcoin is a really important. And uh, so I've been actually involved in that for a while. I know Silbert just pumped an article, and they're doing a great job, by the way. Um, but he pumped an article, which everyone was like, yeah, this is dope. But that's been going on for a little while now, um, onboarding some institutions into Bitcoin through that avenue. So we've been doing some of that. And, uh, yeah, it'll, it'll come to light soon. Yeah. No, there's uh, there are a few companies like... I don't know if this is exactly what you were just mentioning, but uh, companies like Unchained and BlockFi that allow people to use Bitcoin as collateral, take out loans, like those are very useful applications. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, there's also just the general use case of I'm a trading firm and I want the asset and I'm willing to pay 10% annually, 5% annually, depending on the size, whatever it is, to get my hands on a lot. mm -hmm. And I don't want to enter that lot through a long side, so I don't want to borrow cash and then buy it because then I've entered a trade. Yeah. And I don't want to have to manage around that trade. I just want to enter the asset itself. And these are 
HFT firms, quant firms, these type of guys that are looking to take trades they've built for other markets and deploy it into this new space. The issue is that all the exchanges are such a joke that they can't <laughs> at scale operate, right? Like They're not at a bats level? They're not at a flash boys dude, level yet? don't even get me started. <laughs> I, the sun is setting. I don't know how much time we have. Don't get me started. But uh, yeah, I mean. No, seriously, I, like let's talk about that. Like, So there is a divergence between traditional finance trading in particular and oh, a def- crypto divergence right is putting it politely like, yeah. yes there's a ca- there's a yeah a, a miles wide cavern between the two yes um, let so me like is do you see bitcoin getting close to traditional trading anytime soon or yes because the demand is so high mm-hmm. like the best use case of bitcoin right now is it's treated as an asset class as a commodity like as a safe haven uh as a different place to store your wealth and to speculate on the economy and markets at whole. Mm-hmm. Um, lightning and all that stuff will get there. I'm not excluding any other use cases, but the one that exists today and that is in high demand in production today, today, you know that's still Presidente Barstool. That's how it says, <laughs> today. Today. Uh, that is the use case. And a lot of these firms, a lot of these portfolio managers, uh, large institutions, they want in. And, and that's in production and we can make that happen. So there just needs to be kind of like a clean sweep of infrastructure, the trading stuff that we have today. The fact, so a little divergence was a very polite way to put it for you. Let me rephrase it in a more realistic way. Whenever anyone wants to make a trade, they can't. When everyone <laughs> puts a stop position, it doesn't get triggered. Like the fact that you can trade when books are thin and there's no volume and if you just wake up and are like, Oh, I'm tired. I'm going to 50 X on some exchange. You can, but if there's a news event or, you know, the Dow starts to crash and you would like to reposition your exposure to Bitcoin and everyone wants to get in a trade when you should want to trade when everyone's trading, you can't. So that's the servers are usually down, whatever they all suck. So, um, and I'm being really harsh on them. They're, they well, you did, should be, well, listen, like you should expect the best, right? But we're coming from Carpellis. Right, that was like so. Huge step ups. Right, should always strive for. Yeah, let me sprinkle. I'll package the cupcake with a ton of disses, and then I'll sprinkle the little frosting with some compliments. I mean, I'm ready for some frosting. Yeah, they did a good job. Um, Bitmax has brought in a ton of liquidity. It's everyone's go-to. Bitfinex is is fine. Right, like there's nothing catastrophically wrong. Like. They're not insolvent or anything. But yeah, if you want institutional traders, if you want these high-frequency guys to port their trades over, if you want real liquidity, if you want this to be treated as a real asset class, you you can't have no JS exchanges. (laughs) You got to have real infrastructure. These exchanges live in the cloud too. They're like hosted AWS and stuff. It's just like um, it's time to step up a little bit. If we get an ETF, I know Don Wilson is a Chicago trader. Uh, DRW, they're coming out with Aerosax as an exchange. Backed will be good. And we'll start to see a wave of real products being launched on real exchanges and hopefully put to bed. Not to say that these exchanges should go die, but it's just time to grow up a little bit and someone needs to bring that presence to the space. Yeah, you have traditional trading firms uh, moving their locations as close to the New York Stock Exchange as possible so they're fiber optic fiber optic uh, cables can get their trades to the exchange as quickly as possible while we have uh, crypto exchanges 
sending trades via Node.js yeah, <laughs> over I mean, some shitty browser. It's it's, it's ridiculous. Bullshit. The best traders in crypto today are directional traders or speculators, and sometimes those are always the best traders. Sometimes the best trade to make is no trade and hodling Bitcoin, right? That's the best trade I've ever made is not selling any Bitcoin, not trading it at all. But come on, like the best ones are doing technical analysis and directionally trading and there's nothing against them. But the whole trading industry went through a gigantic shift when things went digital and when HFT got introduced and that's just missing in Bitcoin. Uh, so it will come and, and it will be a giant shift and a wake up call for everyone. Hopefully soon. How do you think it changes the market structure? Um, well, more efficient, more obviously more liquidity. Yeah. What? Faster price discovery. Yeah. I mean, these like giant volatile swings. Well, step back there. Faster price discovery. What, what would you say is slow about price discovery right now? Uh, I just think the market's generally inefficient. Mm -hmm. Moving Bitcoin is slow and inefficient. The people trading the market, there aren't a lot comparatively. Yeah. Um, filling orders is tough. I I had someone uh, make whispers that they needed help filling a 50,000 Bitcoin buy. How the fuck am I supposed to broker that? <laughs> Who's going to fill that? Seriously, come on. Right? Like, books aren't thick enough. Getting Bitcoin in and out is tough. Like liquid will help. I think lightning will be a part of exchanges at some point. Um, and there's just a general maturity of can we move this asset faster? Can we get more people involved and get these books more fill? Can people market make reliably with this thing? There's just a lot of missing pieces that results in like someone wakes up and wants to sell 50 Bitcoin and we drop 10%. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just like... Okay, like we'll we'll just range between like six thousand and seven thousand, depending on if someone needs to offload a hundred lot. It's just absolutely absurd, um, which is also okay. I keep I'm being very pessimistic. I'm not meaning to. Uh, Bitcoin's not even ten years old yet. That's what I was about to say. It's like right. for it being this young, it's like very impressive. Very right? impressive. I'm I'm being stern on it because if you look at it through a lens of other asset classes, we just have lots of work to do, I guess, you yeah. know, like pedal to the metal. Um, we should be forward thinking always. You don't want to ever pat your back, back too much. Right. So, um, but yeah, I mean, come on, Bitcoin not only is not only ten, not even 10 years old, but it also has no CEO and no marketing team. All of this stuff is hundred percent organic. Uh, so yeah, I mean, Bitcoin is, one of the most fascinating things that's ever existed. So no knock on Bitcoin, of course, but yeah. Um, so with that being said, like, it was fun being on the front lines of the fork wars last year with you mm -hmm. on, on, on crypto Twitter. It's pretty cheesy to say, but somewhat true. Like, Oh, dude. you were, very, you were a lot more vocal last summer than you had. You're, you've been, you've, uh, quiet gone down. a little bit quiet on, on, uh, yeah. social media. Yeah. I used, I used to really get into it with some folks. Yeah. Um, I'm not, not on purpose that I've been quiet. Uh, just like, I don't know, got things to do and I don't say anything unless I feel like I need to. No. But yeah. And I wasn't trying to, Marty's making fun of my wasn't Twitter activity. <laughs> wasn't trying to call you out for your Twitter. What I'm saying is like, maybe like, I'm just assuming like, it's an assumption. I mean, like, do you think it's at a point where like Bitcoin, like it's, it's like, okay. Like where it is like, I'm trying to get to like a state of the union question. Like where mm -hmm. are you, like where Bitcoin is right now at the protocol level, what's going on with lightning is extremely exciting. Like 
uh, as opposed to this time last year, which is pre-fork, post-fork, mm-hmm. pre-segwit, post-fork, pre-segwit around this time last mm-hmm. year. Uh, are you more optimistic, less optimistic? Oh, uh, more. Yeah. Come on. I'm bullish. I'm bullish. But, uh, well, with a long-term view, whether what it's going to be tomorrow, God knows. But uh, I think the general change for me is today there's more to do than there is to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that. In August of 2017, there was more to say than there was to do. I, think, I really like that. Yeah, that's how I would put it. It's like today I wake up and there's lightning progress to be made. Um, we need to figure out how this asset is going to mature and marry itself to the tra- traditional finance infrastructure that exists. I got to talk to the guys at CBOE, at the CME. I got to talk to these firms, talk to them about their interests, uh, what they don't know about Bitcoin, what they need to know, what we need to build, all of that stuff. And there's just a lot more to do and to work on than to say. Back during the UASF, what was really important is to educate, is to stand uh, strong on your value propositions, what you believed in. Uh, and it was less about like building a zap feature and more about making sure that the asset I signed up for uh, didn't crumble. And it was, that's why we called it a war is it was that serious. Right. But nowadays I don't see any real threats where anyone's voice is necessarily needed. In fact, crypto Twitter is probably too noisy nowadays oh, and it is helpful. Yeah. Terrible. So I've been trying to tweet less. Like, um, I mean, I don't know, like it is what it is, but I would say that for me personally, that's the difference. There's just more to do nowadays. If someone tries to pull anything stupid, don't you be afraid. I'm going to get the megaphone and I'll be shouting. again. <laughs> no problem. You heard it here first. Jack's ready to grab his, uh, <laughs> grab his Bitcoin rifle, whatever you'll say, get to the front lines. No, but it is, uh, I would agree. And it's actually funny how this, period of boringness i would label it as is coinciding with like a very stable price like we've been pretty stable for the last month at least yeah and crypto twitter's been dying uh it's been getting you have like bitcoin maximalists turning on each other it's like all right this is boring i'm tuning out yeah uh, it's just market cycles like right? it's any market anything really i mean there's a hype cycle people get excited everything you say should be quoted everything you do should be framed and then there's a time where market goes down and it's the direct opposite. And that's just like human psychology, how markets act. Uh, if Bitcoin went up and to the right five bucks every day for the next 20 years, I mean, that, you know, <laughs> that, that doesn't exist. That's not how markets work. That's not how people work. So uh, it's just, it's not a surprise. It is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. Um, what else we could riff on? Like, are you like, how do you see Bitcoin changing the world and like changing the world? Let's get into that. Let's get heady. Yeah. Um, you're so passionate about it. You have to, you have to believe you're, yeah. you're changing the world in some way, right? It's one of those questions where you're just scared to answer because you know that it's not going to like fulfill as much as you want. Like who's your favorite rapper? You like, Oh, fuck. <laughs> come on. You listen to rap. You got to have a favorite one. You're like, yeah, but um, I think that Bitcoin and its censorship resistant property and the value proposition that that offers to society is most important to me. And that answer sucks because it's so high level and bland that like I might as well copy and paste that from some Google quote machine. But seriously, I mean, uh, I think the potential it has 
to be a trillion dollar asset in uh uncorrelated safe haven sense um and could back an economy uh and be a world reserve currency is tremendous and what pegs from that is yet to be seen you know like can we treat it as a unit of exchange too with lightning derivative products etf you know are people going to speculate on it are people going to rush to it in a crash are people going to flee from it in a crash but that characteristic is the censorship resistant one and the fact that it is decentralized uh, enough where you don't require trust on anyone is the property um, that gives it all its upside and its excitement so yeah it's gonna be so do you do you follow like the view of like the sovereign individual uh, type future have you read that mm, no yeah. uh oh you don't have to get into that though Sure. Yeah, because well, the sovereign individual view is like uh, things are going to get. So we were born at an inflection point where we have the internet and Bitcoin, and Mm -hmm. moving forward, like especially in the next hundred years in particular, uh, this book talks about like five hundred year super cycles, and we're at the beginning of another one. Uh, The first hundred years of these super cycles are pretty chaotic, and so like technologies like bitcoin that are very privacy and uh sovereignty enabling uh and protecting uh will sort of cause society to to be a, little, a bit chaotic like for like it will dissolve nation states there will be chaos people that have access to these uh to Bitcoin basically mm-hmm. and these these type of uh, tools will will have uh, a much better head start than than the rest of society sure um, to get heavy here yeah I mean uh, I don't I guess believe in the idea that like Bitcoin is going to well let me rephrase that I don't think I'll be alive for the day where like the dollar doesn't exist right and this these type of ideas I would concur Really? Yeah. I mean, so here's the thing. Like, I also, I don't want to say I don't think as ambitiously, but I don't like to look at that far when I'm like in the weeds and mm-hmm. working on this stuff from more, this comes from more of my product view. So like if I were to sit down at my laptop and be like, okay, close my eyes. Zap is going to be this world dominating thing that's going to introduce this world reserve currency that will allow people to pay like and then you sit down and you try and write your first line of code and you can't and that's when people are like well let's have a meeting let's fly. <laughs> and, and then you fill your time with shit that isn't helpful so to me like thinking of the day where no fiat exists and that like we're just dominated by the sci-fi world I don't think it's like too unrealistic I don't think it's overambitious. I don't necessarily disagree. But to me, it's like, what does the next year look like? What's the next 10 years look like? Or else I'm just kind of like, I might as well take an edible <laughs> and, do, and and talk about this. Try right? to make you know, proof of stake work. You know what I'm saying? So I guess like my realistic point of view is I would like to see Bitcoin established as a real asset class, as a trillion dollar asset class, as one that has direct influence on the economy and on markets. And then from there, we move on. I don't think any of that stuff is overambitious or anything. and I don't try and knock it. But I really fray from, I don't, I'm just not a daydreamer. Um, there's nothing wrong with daydreamers, just not me. No, I appreciate that answer. I'm a daydreamer. 
We like to get cosmic here. Yeah, I love. See, we we work in parallel, man. Yeah, that's no, fine. I, you daydream, I'll do this. <laughs> but I like what you said. You uh, you like to think about the short term first, like what's going on now in the next year. And uh, the one tweet I brought up earlier about you saying that you think uh, I actually didn't bring it up earlier. It's the other tweet I want to bring up is that you think uh, the institutions are going to get in before retail. You think it makes sense for them oh, to yeah. get in first. It was a good quote. Yeah. I said that at Crypto Springs. I think yes, someone that's what it me. was. Yeah. Yeah. So, you, I mean, again, this goes back to what we were discussing earlier with narratives like how to market Bitcoin now. And I really like that quote because I think that's a good way to, to market it. Like it is speculative. Like let's get these institutions in. And then when it's, I mean, not that retail has to wait for it to get to this point, but it makes more sense for institutions right now than a lot of retail. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what I meant when I said that on stage was if you think about who's using lightning today, these people are not using it out of necessity. Mm -hmm. There's no one that's relying on lightning to solve a problem. They're doing it because they are deeply passionate about this asset. We have united vision and they're here to help. They're here to participate and they are being very helpful. But in order for Bitcoin to people get it, get paid in Bitcoin, merchants to reliably accept it, uh, there needs to be a lot of maturing with the asset itself. It needs to be more liquid. It needs to be more stable. Uh, risk transfers to derivative products and exposure via ETF. Mind you, the ETF itself has no direct influence on Lightning, of course. But just the general confidence that a retailer has that the SEC has blessed this. And okay... What role should the SEC play in our lives? I don't know. I'm not trying to get all libertarian on people, and I don't necessarily agree with the role they play today. But my point is, if you want to take a realistic approach to retail investors, to normal people using this thing, holding it on their cell phone, saying, hey, I'll take 10% of my salary in Bitcoin because I know that this game I like to play accepts it, and where I buy my video games takes it or whatever— yeah, I'll take 10% of my salary in Bitcoin and then I'll put it on my Zap app and I'll go spend it and they'll pay their employees in it. That takes a lot of infrastructure and general confidence of a new asset class, general stability of the market, more efficient price discovery. And that's what I meant. I meant that the use case of institutional investors, ETFs, derivative products come first before you have a stable new asset form of money that can be held in confidence and used in confidence by retail investors and such, if that makes sense. No, it makes sense. Like that inflow of institutional money will enable the use cases that make it, that provide the utility for retail investors. It right. makes a lot of sense. Right. Yeah. I mean, like even the, so one of the, I also said on stage, I think I got quoted on that derivative products <laughs> are going to help decentralize mining. <laughs> and, and to like crypto Twitter or whoever, you can take that and run with that in many directions. Wait, wait, wait. Derivative products are going to help decentralize mining. Mm-hmm. All right. How? So the the reason is that mining... I've got a very open mind to this. I'm very interested here. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't think otherwise. So the reason is mining is such a cost-intensive mm-hmm. business. You're risking a ton of capital up front to churn out an asset that then you sell at market and pay off uh, your expenses. Now, we're dealing with an asset that's extremely volatile. If I wanted, if I was a year ago, mid-October, I'm churning out ASICs, I'm ready to mine, and I'm mining to reproduce an asset or produce an asset that is $17,000. Mm-hmm. 
and a year later it's six thousand. That's a serious like. Bitmain has such a one of the reasons Bitmain has such a strong hold on this market is whoever's first can bear hug and dominate, right? Whoever has bigger pockets has a serious advantage, too big of an advantage because there's no way to transfer risk. There's no way to lock in price. If what I can do is I can get on the short side of the CME future product and say, I'm going to lock in myself at 17 or whatever. If I'm building the next six months, assuming that Bitcoin is going to be in the 6,500 range, I'm going to lock that in off shell, get and settle in cash. And then that way, if Bitcoin goes to 50,000, I'm not necessarily exposed to that upside. But if it goes to 1,000, I'm not exposed to the downside. And now all of a sudden, being a miner, you're not a speculator, you're not a trader. And your actual business model is building ASICs and, and producing this asset in an efficient way. Um, and so a lot of the risk you can mitigate and transfer to professional speculators. And uh, this idea of risk transfer, this is applies to, you know, farmers who, you know, wheat and corn. This is the same idea. A lot of these asset classes, derivative products are extremely helpful. So one of the direct ways is a ton of more miners are coming online. And if we can get liquid derivative products, they can lock in prices. Business models become really cut clear in Excel. Hey, we offloaded this amount into future to hedge. You know, we can build out to this cost. And now you can get back to your business of building fucking ASICs or whatever it is and you don't have to be such a speculator and hope that you're mining during a bull run or else you out of business and one survives that's Bitman, you know what I mean? Talk about a fucking positive externality. Holy shit. I never even put that together, but that makes a hundred percent sense. Like sweet, I'm glad it, it enables more decentralized a more decentralized mining landscape by allowing smaller miners to hedge their pets which right you want to transfer risk yeah you don't as a miner you don't want to be exposed I never put to those risk. two together Holy, how come i've never heard that is that talked about i'm not tweeting man that's why <laughs> <laughs> but it's something as simple as like that yeah. simple as that derivative enables, products help guys yeah. it's okay we're all on the same team yeah wall street's not against us wow i can't believe i never put that together but it makes it makes a whole lot of sense. And that's actually when you couple that with what Matt Corrala talks about, or there's actually my uh, economies at this scale in the mining industry in particular, because yes, you may have the capital to buy enough miners to eat up 200 megawatts, but you're not going to be able to find 200 megawatts in one mm -hmm. geographic location. Very rarely you'll be able to do that. Uh, so something like that, where on top of the economies at this scale of not being able to find, uh, a large amount of energy in one location, giving smaller miners a weapon, uh, which they can use as, as sort of some leverage against the bitmains of the world is incredible. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not pitching everyone to go be a miner and short sell the CME future, but it's obviously more difficult no, just, than that. But yeah, yeah the, the risk transfer idea is a common one. And again, the derivative product is a separate product. It's not Bitcoin. It is designed to fulfill certain value propositions. One of those is to give you exposure to the asset through a different avenue. And there's a use case right there that can be applied today. And I think, you know, uh, hash rate has been going up and to the right very fast. More miners are coming on. Mining this is going to be competitive. And uh, I think that now that we have a more liquid derivatives market and it'll only get more liquid, uh, is just a very positive thing that will have direct influence on the industry almost immediately. Yeah. Mining something I've been getting more and more into the last six months in particular, and it's a fascinating cutthroat industry. Yeah. It's I'm, crazy how fast it moves. I've never got too deep into it, um, but I'm glad that 
it's moving fast and in the right direction. It seems, fingers crossed, uh, the hash rate that's coming online and, and the fall of the great Bitmain has been fun to watch, and I'm happy. Yeah. We actually had a, a news item for you freaks out there. We had a, a downward difficulty adjustment this week. We uh, for the first time since July, mm-hmm. and then before July it was last November or August uh, or no November. Uh, yeah, after the four can't go up into the right forever. No, that's uh, yeah. The downward difficulty adjustments are are rare, few and far between up to this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Um, it was interesting to see one this week. Just as a side note, um, all right, we're about an hour and fifteen in. You got a steak dinner to get to tonight. Got a steak like. dinner. I got my girlfriend out in New York City. Yeah. What uh, is there any pressing topics you want to get on? Like any anything you want anybody to know about Zap, about Lightning in particular? What's been going on this week at Chain Code? Uh, what the vibes been like there? Oh man, I don't think I have anything too pressing. If there's something pressing that you want to know, you can ask. The Chain Code stuff is dope though, as long as I have the platform to say it. Uh, they're great. John Newberry put it together. He's great. Uh, I'm a big fan of all they've done for this space. I think a lot of it goes unnoticed. So shout out to them. The residency has been a lot of fun. I'm excited to see what these guys build uh, come Friday. So, any uh, any exciting projects people are working on right now? They're all exciting. I mean, the general excitement is that there are people willing to fly to New York from right. other countries to learn how to build stuff. Right? Like, so yeah, there's some cool projects. Um, I won't steal anyone's wind. I'm sure it'll be all over Twitter and stuff, and uh, we'll be able to follow their GitHub and all that fun stuff. But yeah, be on the lookout for it. Um, but the general movement of people wanting to be a part of this, and the more we're, our army is growing of, of people <laughs> that are willing to build. So that's what I'm most excited about. Hell yeah. Um, no, it's been an incredible week. The fact that you freaks, uh, you lightning freaks are willing to come to my apartment and I'm uh, a lightning freak. Record a podcast is is incredible. She's a very freaky girl. You know that song? She's a freak. <laughs> um super freak. Yeah. Super freak. Uh Cocaine is one hell of a drug. Who the hell am I thinking of? Uh is it a young Jeezy? No. Su- I'm thinking of like the hip hop. Come on. Oh, we I'm talked thinking about of this Chicago Chappelle show. I'm thinking of uh Yeah, dude. I'm too young for that. What? You're my age almost. Well, how old are you? 27. Oh, I'm a little younger. I'm a little younger. 24? 24. Yeah. Yeah, you're my age, dude. You're my age, man. <laughs> We're the same age. Um, why can't I think of this right now? I don't know. I'm not ending the podcast on it. Uh, Rick James. That's it. There we go. Okay. I'm, I'll pretend Super like Freak by Rick about. James. Got it. That's where we're going to... We're going to end the podcast on that, Freak. Sorry for that awkward ending. Good song. Uh, Check out Zap. Check it out. Check out Zap. Yeah. Uh, Jack Mahler's on, and I'm butchering your last name. Is it Mahler's? Mahler's. Mahler's. I said Mahler's. It's, okay. it's my Philly accent. Like. Dude, the funniest is uh, basketball announcers, when I used to play in high school, would say Mailers. So they would say Mailers with another nailer. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that so. Chicago accent for you. Hey. <laughs> hey, how are you? Uh, here, there's a Matthew here, and we're going we're gonna to play basketball. Yeah. So you were close enough, man. And this is uh, the craziest ending to Tales from the Crypt we've Sweet. we've had to date. Check out uh, Zap. Find Jack on Twitter. I'll put his link in the uh, in the bio. And peace and love, freaks. Dope. Thanks for having me, buddy. Thanks for coming, bro.